Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast for our Sunday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this morning. Um, Luke 7. Did I say Luke before? So last week I was scheduled to teach this area of scripture, except I didn't know that Pastor Steve didn't finish chapter 6, and so Austin took chapter 6, the last 20-some verses, and um, I was really grateful, obviously, because of the memorial, but also I was really excited about Luke 7, because it's an area of scripture that, especially in the first parts of it, it's something that I've taught on before, it's an area of scripture that I use as we tour, and uh, it, 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 it's, it's just very home to me, and so as I was preparing for this week, all the way up until about six thirty, seven o'clock last night, um, I think uh, Krista and Monica walked into my office because I was studying and they walked in and you could see the fear on their face. Like, are you okay? And I was in there. I just got done weeping. I just got done because the Lord was showing a direction that I was going to have to take that was something that I already had prepared for. And I was fighting him. So here's what I want you to know. I'm going to do everything I can to get through the first 75% of this chapter to get to. Because what you're going to find is, in this chapter 7, four people, four very difficult situations, one Christ. The changes of the message is that I was going to talk about the first three people and not even touch the fourth. Until I studied the fourth, and the Lord said, I want you to share this. But how do I get there without doing the first three? Really fast. (laughs) Really fast. Let's pray. Lord, you know. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. Lord, you know. And I thank you for the word that you spoke to me yesterday. And I pray that it will go forth. And Lord, that there will be nugget. Not a bunch of them, just one that someone might be able to take out of here and settle something that needs to be settled and that you would water it and grow it and it would bear fruit. That's my prayer. Each and every time we meet together, that we would take something out of it, Lord that would move us forward closer to you, more of you, and less of us. And that's my prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two occasions in Scripture that you're going to hear Jesus talk about an emotion that he has. Amazed. I'm blown away. Wow. Well, you're not going to see wow in Scripture, but uh, I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. And in this particular chapter, Romans 7, or Luke 7, uh, Jesus is is amazed. And here's the part of it that he's amazed at. He's amazed at someone's faith. He's also amazed the second time at someone's lack of faith. Amazed at someone's faith. Amazed at lack of faith. I'm amazed at your lack of faith. I'm amazed at your faith. Luke 7, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, all these things that he was saying is what we read or we studied last week with Austin in chapter 6. There is this long, uh, uh, he, he's with the, the, the multitudes and he's sharing um, what we, what if you didn't know, it wasn't the Beatitudes, but uh, blessed are those who and woe to you. There was a lot of that. And towards the end, if a blind man leads a blind man, will they not both fall into a pit? A student, you know, he's giving these exhortations to the crowd as they move on from the crowd. All of this, by the way, in chapter 6 and 7 is taking place over a couple days. This is an account of a couple days. Each time that we move from one person to the other, it's going to say, and the next day or the hour later. So the account is very specific. This is not this long laid out, hey, how do you know? He, Luke, uh, 
he lays it out that this is something that's happening now over a period of days. So let's dive into the seventh chapter. Um, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, again, it was what we studied last week, all the people, uh, hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. A centurion was, uh, you'll, every time in scripture that you see about uh, a, a, a Roman centurion, he is what is equivalent to a master sergeant. And he has about a hundred men under him. But in scripture, the Roman centurion uh, is always thought, uh, is always spoke very highly of. I mean, he's a really good guy. And he really does good things. You don't say, well, in this Roman centurion, he kind of went sideways. No, he is always a really good guy. So Jesus is walking up and uh, he's in Capernaum and they enter Capernaum and uh, there's a, sur- a centurion servant, a slave, whom his master really values highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came, Jesus, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not consider coming myself. I'm not worthy. I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. Now, again, what's interesting is the men that sent out before said that this was a man who was worthy. He now is in the presence of the Lord and saying, I'm not worthy. Right. And uh, and so to to come to you. That is why I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word. Here's the thing that's going to astound Jesus. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell them to tell this one to go. I tell this one not to go and they go. I tell this one to come. He comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does that. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such a such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This man comes out and he says, look, I know who you are. You are under authority. You're under the father's authority. And and that's interesting in itself because, you know, you would think that Jesus, as you're watching and seeing what is going on in Jerusalem and the stories that are being told about what the Lord is doing, you would not think that this is actually a man that would possibly be under authority. But this was a man that actually acknowledged the fact that this is a man under authority. And he actually said, look, you don't even have to come. You speak it, and I know it will happen. And the Lord's going, wow. Wow. That rocks me. I'm astonished. Okay. Now, you don't see okay, but he's like, okay. How do I know okay? Well, it says that the people went back to the house, and the guy was healed. You know, when I teach, I really don't teach like Pastor Steve or... Pastor Austin and George, I'm, we're all different in style, Pastor Steve Miller. They're educators. I kind of look at the Bible with colored book and Crayolas. I know it doesn't, it's not deep, uh, but I, 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 I spent seven and a half years, what I believe, under a teacher that actually was able to take the word of God and put application in today's world. I really like how it affects me. I want to be able to take this astonished. What astonished this man? Why was he so astonished? Well, it's because he didn't have to do what he always did, go to the people. I mean, you remember Mary and Martha when uh, Lazarus was sick and Jesus, they said, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick and uh, you need to come now. And they get word to him, you got to come now. And Jesus like, three days. You got to come now. They're all, got to come. And he's dead when he gets there. And they start freaking out and they come up and they start crying. And Jesus is crying. Why? He had compassion over the loss of what their, their humanity, they lost their brother. And then he looks up to the father and he says, this is for them, this is not for me. Your brother's not dead, man. He's asleep. 
He wasn't in a hurry. Why? Because he already knew what was going to happen. This guy didn't freak out. He just said, don't even come to the house. Just say it right where you're at. It'll happen. I'm astonished. Now, there is another time in Scripture that I actually experienced this week. But before I go there, I want to share with you. Last week, I got to experience astonishing faith. And I actually called and I asked if I could share the story. Thursday or Friday before my mom's memorial last week, I got up. Um, Pastor Steve Miller came in my office and said, um, listen, I got a phone call. And it's from Pete and Debbie. And, um, you know, 99.99% Pete's tumor is cancer. They've said that. And they want to come and get prayed after church on Sunday. I said, well, let's just grab some people and do it. It's great. So we had the service, the church service last weekend. And after uh, Austin had taught, we all were here. And afterwards, we brought Pete up here. And um, he's in a lot of pain from this tumor. And again, I talked to them. They're good about me, Sharon. And uh, it says, you know, Bible says, hey, look, if, if you're sick or you need some healing, come to the elders of the church and let them pray for you. And by faith, they called us in advance. And um, what I've also heard before then is what you don't know. And I don't know how all this plays out in God's economy, but I'm just telling you as it is. And you guys determine where it falls and how you guys process it. But I also need to know their 20-year-old granddaughter was used about two and a half months ago to rock this man who'd been in ministry almost 20-some years. As we were walking through a lot of things in the ministry, I asked where she was at and what she's doing and all this information she's gathering. And she looked at me and said, Pastor Mike, I talked to the Lord Jesus and he told me that this is where I am and no one's going to tell me what to do except what Jesus did. And pretty much she said, not even you or I'm going to do what the Lord told me to do. And I actually said, I felt like, you know, the Lord that day going, man, I'm astonished. I'm leaving the grill and I'm driving. It's, you know, sometime afternoon, it's in the early afternoon. And I'm driving out of the grill in Kalispell by myself. And I'm just going, that was radical. This 20-year-old knows what God has spoke to her. She's not going to be bended. She's not going to be moved. There's nothing. And she just had this radical faith. So now keep in mind, months later, I'm putting this process together. What if she didn't have that? What if someone else, something else moved her? Because what happened was her grandparents were going to come. And as her grandparents came up here, their car broke down. And what happened was they were being challenged by family members. They're in a rental, they're in a, in a borrowed car because the dealer wouldn't even take care of. There was so many things that caused them not to come. And yet they still felt led to come. And I got to tell you, that's exactly what I heard from their granddaughter when we were sitting in the booth at the grill. Now, this is my processing. Don't know how God worked this out. Would God have still done the things he's done? Probably. But I'm looking at it from this perspective. Wow. I get to look back. So Pete comes. Laid hands on him. Prayed over him. Anointed him with oil. I remember someone saying, I actually giggled. I don't know if I should add this, but this is real. This is not like Wesson. We got this from the Jordan. I mean, one of the pastors act. Yeah, I go, and I'm, and I was like doing this. Like, that's why. So I'm going, maybe we should get a gallon of that stuff. Now, so we, we prayed for Pete. It was beautiful. I'm standing on the grill Tuesday night, Wednesday night, after the mama. I don't know when you got, and I got this text. Pete's tumor, benign, no cancer, absolute, gone. Six down. Wait, hold on. I'm flipping. Six down. Astonished. But here's the thing. They didn't run here. They called ahead. I want you to pray for my husband. I want you guys to prepare. And we're like, we're going to do it. Astonished at their faith. Now this week, I'm like, well, the one thing that I'm taking away from this study is this. I think there's times that we all have experienced that amazing confidence that the Lord has called us to do something and we do it. 
And as the world looks on, they go, wow, wow, that was radical, wow. But I also will say, I think there's other times for those of us experienced that kind of faith also have weak faith. In the middle of this incredible experience of watching and seeing God do something so radical. And let me tell you, when three doctors tell you the condensity of this tumor, I've been doing this a pretty long time. Prepare yourself. Guess what you do? You prepare yourself that when you get that phone call and you know the phone because you got your doctor's to hear the opposite of what they've been saying, you have to know. That's pure Jesus. That's like, bang. Yet, 48 hours later, I'm confronted with a radical step of my own faith by my board of directors. Where I actually had to leave in me. I can't tell you details yet. But I went into the office and I said, I need to speak to my wife. And I explained to her, what I am need to do, I'm telling you, it's coming from, what I'm trying to do right now, it's, it's, it's coming from a place of fear. It's not a faith. And I believe if we, me, don't take the counsel, of which they're okay if I don't, but if I don't take the counsel of what the Lord has used these men to bring to my heart of what kind of man he wants me to be, this is fear having a contract that guarantees something. When I have a contract from him, And I'm asking you, Pam, I love you and God will always take, but I'm asking you as your pastor, will you trust the Lord to trust me because I'm going to live by faith and I'm not going to sign a contract. I'm going to step out of the boat because I was fighting and fighting and just wanted the security of something that was being offered to me. Why? It's just easier having a contract than having faith in God. And you know what my wife said? Okay. Did we pass the test? I don't know. But I knew it was the right thing to do. Why? Well, I didn't tell you what happened the three days up to that point. There is a verse that I want to share with you. It's in Mark's Gospel 6, 1 through 6. Then he went out from there and he came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Judas, Simon, and not his sisters here with us? I know there's a lot of people me right now going, Jesus had brothers and sisters? Yeah, right here. Not his sisters here with us. So they were all offended by him. This is where Jesus is going to tell them. But Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he, and he marveled. Listen up. And he marveled because of their unbelief, their lack of faith. Lord has taken me to this area. He goes, here's the deal. I've shown you what faith looks like. You were blown away by it. You stood there last night. And now I'm asking you to do something. And now today you're cowering back because you don't believe that I can do what I say I'm going to do. And then I got to tell you, he takes me to this area of scripture. I think it's, I want to say, uh, Mark 4, Jesus leaves the crowd. Guys, remember, he gets in the boat. And he tells his disciples, listen up. If they just would have listened to this one thing he said. If they just would have listened. He said, hey, get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. Here's what he said. We are going to the other side. So they get in the boat. It wasn't. It was. (laughs) Storm comes. They actually say he's down in the back. He's in the sleeping. Guys asleep. Storm comes. Again, I don't know what, this always has always, always touched me. These guys make a living on the water. What kind of storm did they have to be in for them to freak out? I got to tell you, man, 
I used to cruise the world with my wife when she was on the cruise ships, and we've been in some, we, there's a strait, and I, I keep forgetting it, but you can look it up, Google it, Jojo, if you want, she Googles everything. It's between Australia and New Zealand, and the sailors that go, live on these ships, we're on a ship called the Royal Viking, they, they really don't like the, the rich people that go on these cruise ships. They, they really do love 25 and 35 foot swells, because they know the people down there are going to get sick, they're not going to come in the dining room, and they don't have to work that night. And they really do know that there's the only thing they have to do is keep bringing these bags to the room because you know you see the horizon it's gone it's gone it's gone it's up and man this is what it is and it doesn't stop right and so i don't know what kind of swells we were in but these guys were freaking out right the sailors so I'm thinking about these fishermen, and they start losing their ever-loving mind. Oh, my God, we're going to die. We're going to die. That was me last week. I'm going to die. I can't believe it. I got my say. I'm going to die. I just saw this amazing. I got it right here. No cancer. Same Jesus, same God. Lord, what? And you know what the Lord does? He gets up. Be still. And they're going, what? And who is this man that even the wind listens to him? Amazed, surprised, marveled. Here's what I discovered. What would I do if I knew that God was with me? Let me ask you a question. What would we do if we really did believe that Jesus was with us? What would I do if I really, really knew that he was with me? What if I actually became a man that really did believe and not question that God was with me? What I discovered is he wants his followers as if we really do believe it and he puts things in our path that prove our trust that he does. He wants us to respond as if we knew that God is in us, around us, he loves us, and ever presence with us. To live a life as if we were fully confident that God was beside us. That he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and the love that he has for us never, ever, ever, never, ever, never, never, ever fails. And that's how he wants us to live. And he wants us to do it before it ever happens. He wants us to have the faith that believes without seeing. Blessed is a man who believes without seeing. You don't have to see it. That's the first person. And so I went before the Lord and I said, Lord, you, gotta, you just need to forgive me. My lack of faith. And I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to be someone who lives by fear. And honestly, we were on a conference call with the board. I have one of my friends of 25 years, but also a very, uh, he loved me very much. And he said, Michael, I will do whatever you ask only for this reason, because I'll take a bullet for you like everybody else. But I am going to be up front, and I need you just to take this before the Lord. This is fear. This is not faith. And the moment he said it, I knew it. The moment he said it, I knew it, and everybody in the room knew it. When something is fear, it's not faith. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. And fear is not of God. Fear is not of God. You can't, you can't change that. You can live in fear. You can walk by fear. You can even justify fear. You can make up anything you want to say that it's right that you're fearful. But the fact of it is, it will not be of God. It's just deception. How do I know? I was deceived. I literally laid out a whole scenario with tears in my eyes how my wife was going to respond. For those in the room, we haven't talked, but I got to tell you, going, we never thought Pam was going to respond that way. Honestly, it took her about 13 seconds to say, I'm in or whatever you want to do. That's the way it's always been, and uh, God hasn't let us down. The second person in chapter 7, we're going to read. 
It's about a widow. In chapter 11, soon after, this is soon after, you know, Jesus said, I have found, uh, I have found, not found such great faith even in Israel than the men who had been sent. They saw that the servant was well. Moving forward to the second person, Jesus raises the widow's son. Soon after, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news one about Jesus spread throughout Judea and their surrounding country. This verse got me in so much trouble as an early pastor. And as when I... In the early years of my, uh, when I was ordained down in Fort Lauderdale, I would come back off tour, and uh, I would always have these great wins, God stories. And we'd go out for long periods of time. And on a Saturday, you remember this, Pamia? Yeah? Her husband's going to be coming, and he'll tell you the story and vouch for it. His name is Pastor Keith Pintari, the guy we did ministry with. His wife oversaw the college at Fort Lauderdale, and I was parking my trailer, and I walked through the college class, and there was about 20-some students, and Christy Pintar stopped me and said, hey, you're back. I go, yeah. He goes, this is Pastor Mike. He's Potter Man. He and his wife do this, and you guys will see him here, but they got these great stories. God always does these things. Do you have some stories? And I told him, oh, well, this is what happened, and this happened, and she goes, oh, that's radical. I said, but this is a big one, man. What happened? Well, we're driving to Arizona, and all of a sudden, I see this guy standing out there on a reservation, and he flagged me over. And she's like, really? And she's kind of little girl. Really? I go, yeah. And he was part of a tribe. And they took me up this dirt road. And I went there. And the chief, she wanted me to pray for him. And he was sick. She goes, you're kidding. I go, no. And the class was like, wow, you're kidding. I go, no. And again, I am young and not knowing this is dumb. Um, and I get up to the chief. And he's dead. No. Yeah, and they're like, no. I go, yeah. So I said, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Lord, I just pray that this man will sit up. And he sat up. It didn't happen. (laughs) But they all thought it did. No way. Yeah. I said, good to see you guys. I'm home one day and I get a phone call. My pastor's name was Bob. He says, Bob wants you in the office in 10 minutes. <laughs> Why? Am I in trouble? Yeah. <laughs> I walk, he goes, did you raise an Indian chief from the dead? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, story still spreads around that I did that. It was a bad one and it was... A lesson. But here's what I want you to know. (laughs) He had compassion. The widow received compassion from the Lord. Webster defines compassion as suffering with another. Painful sympathy. Suffering on behalf of someone else's pain. She's a widow, means her husband's gone. And she just lost her son. She's alone. Now she has to be taken care of. She's in complete and absolute agony. I called him and asked Jojo, was this the country we were in? I had shipped the potter's will to Uganda and we were waiting for it to come out of customs, and then it went shipped over to another area of cargo, and we were out there in the darkest of night in Uganda trying to get this potter's wheel out of there. We were having an outreach the next day, and there's just it, they were messing with us, and 
literally the tariff on it was three times what the potter's wheel was worth. But as we wrestled through all of it and we were getting it, I was, Jojo was in the, in, the, in, the, in the building and I had to stay outside with these 15-year-old soldiers that honestly, if they were, it was a hairiest situation that I've ever been in. But as they were bringing out some of this cargo, there was a coffin that came and a family came to get a coffin that was st- still in customs because a Ugandan had passed in another African country and they finally got the body out and they brought the body and the family was there and then a car pulls up and the mother came out and as the coffin was going into the, they're not pickup trucks they're like a they're like a Toyota with a f- bed on it in Uganda it's a, I don't know if you guys have ever seen those but the coffin barely fit in the back of this little pickup truck and I heard the most gut-wrenching wailing as the mother threw herself over the top of this coffin, just, just in agony. Her son has just made it home, but they were going to go bury him. And he had great compassion for her. And he said, don't cry. Three times Jesus spoke to corpse. He said it here. In jars, remember? He went to the little girl and he said, little lamb, rise. Little compassion that he had for the family of a little girl who had passed. And of course, the one I shared up front, Lazarus, you're asleep, bro. Come on out. Jesus talked to them as if they never died. Jesus talked to them as they never died. The agony of which I felt and the pain of which I felt over the loss of my mom. I can only say, I don't know what it would have been like had I not been able to experience the compassion and the love that we had received as a family to help us walk through something. It happened so quick. And yet I got to experience what compassion and love really was from people that loved us to help us walk through that. And I know a lot of it is that it's not so much for Berta. Berta, are you kidding? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived. Berta, you want to come back? No, see you when you get here. I mean, it really had not... It, it was what you guys offered us. It's not what... And then we go to John the Baptist. He'll be the third one. 14th chapter. John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them. Where am I? Told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who was to come or should I expect someone else? Uh, Look at John's in Herod's prison. Now keep in mind that John the Baptist is in Herod's prison, but this is the one who actually watched the dove come down. This is what he says. As he falls on the Holy Spirit, this is my son of who I'm well pleased. I mean, John sees heaven cracked open. Now keep in mind, we're talking about faith and people who have astonishing faith and those who lack faith in these this area of scripture. So John is sitting in prison. John's not a prison kind of guy. He's a locust honey kind of guy. He's out in the desert kind of guy. He's not like in an Armani suit kind of guy. This is a guy who is a, he doesn't want to be in prison. And John is going thinking, let's get this revolt going against the Roman government. We can call the army. I mean, all the power, all the things that are going on. I get all of that, but it's time to call this thing and let's get it going. John's going, or are you the guy? Are you the one? Because John's thinking kingdoms come in this side of heaven. So he's not lacking in faith. He just wants to know if Jesus is the one. And so it's an interesting thing. When, when the men came to Jesus, they said, hey, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Here's what Jesus did. They didn't go, did you hear me? He just didn't answer him. Here's what he did. 
at that very time, at that very time, at the time they said, hey, are you the one? What Jesus did, he did what he does. At that very time, he cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messenger, go back and report to John what you have just seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the death here, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. You want to know if I'm the one? Watch. You want to know? Watch. And what you're going to see, I'm going to give you the answer that you're asking. And go back and tell John. Now, here's the ironic thing. Jesus does all the things that is asked of the first two, but he's not going to give John what he wants. We know in other accounts that John stays in prison. What happened to him? John heard that he was the one, but he never got out. John didn't know what we heard next. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He says that there was no one greater. Yet John is still in prison, not knowing the testimony of Jesus on behalf of his friend John. But he also says, for those of us that are here, the veil has been pulled back because we have the new covenant. We have the empty tomb. He says, among that time, But I tell you, even now, better. Why? Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. This is why we celebrate. I I, I have a lot of analogies with the Wizard of Oz. Look, turn it down. This is not, I mean, recorded, I guess. (laughs) But I always was afraid as a kid at the big, mighty Oz. But at the end, that little dog just opens up the curtain. It's that old man playing with levers. And he's such a good guy. He goes, I'll tell you what, here's a heart for you, Tin Man, and give you a diploma, Scarecrow, and lion, you get a little courage. But you, Dorothy, I'm going to take with me. I know how to get back home. I know how to get you home. See, the Lord said, I know how to get you home. In the midst of all of this crazy, I'm going to take you home. And home's really close. So you have the centurion whose slave was healed, raised. You have a mother who has her son. But you have John who never, ever heard the answer except what Jesus had done. There's, he gave, he, his, his answer was correct, and John knew that what he asked was covered. Now, I was going to do an in-depth study of these three characters. I didn't believe that I was going to get through to this next area of Scripture. But the fourth and final one, I'm right there. Let me read to you, starting in verse 36. Now the one, now one of the Pharisees, let me go back to um, 33, can I? For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. He's talking to the Pharisees. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proven right by all her children. 
You remember in Matthew's Gospel, this is where the Pharisees lost their ever-loving mind when he walked up to Matthew. And Matthew's like the bottom of the barrel, this tax collector. You guys know tax collectors are like the bottom of the barrel. I mean, they're, 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 they're stealing, you know, and, and, and they take great advantage and they got a boatload of cash and they do what a bunch of guys do when they got a boatload of cash. They're a bunch of heathens. I mean, they're heathens. So he goes to Matthew and he says, hey, I'm coming to your house tonight and why don't you bring your friends? So Jesus, Matthew's like, back, you, know, you know who my friends are, man. I mean, they're a pretty colorful group of guys. They're other tax collectors. I mean, it's going to be like, I don't think I want to have you, Rabbi, come into my house. Anyway, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to clean it up enough that it even look like you should be in there. And he's going, I'm coming over to eat. By the way, this is a funny thing. This guy's always going to eat. He never turns down a meal. Just wanted to throw that in. <laughs> but he goes to Matthew's house. And who was outside going, what? Who is he hanging out with? Are you lost your mind? This guy, he's not a t- I mean, he was losing his mind. But he's with the, all of the crazy, colorful people, right? So this is where he's at. Now, in the 36th chapter verse of uh, Luke 7, this is where I wanted to get to. And I think I got myself enough time. Let me read it all this chapter to finish out the chapter. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Again, there's your dinner, man. The guy's like, hey, you want to come over to my house for dinner? Jesus is going, I'm coming. <laughs> so he went to the Pharisee's house, the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived in a, a sinful life in, the, in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, so in his heart, not saying it out loud, he's going, this guy knew was a real prophet. He would know who this girl is. Everybody in town knows who this girl is. You see, in, those, in, 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 in that culture at the time, when you came in the house, it was very similar for those who have ever been to Guatemala, that outdoor courtyard. So a lot of people come in, and when a rabbi would come or a teacher would come, people would come in and they would listen to him. So it wasn't uncommon for people, oh, the rabbi's going to be at... You know, Joe Pharisee tonight. Oh, I'm going to go. And they'd go and maybe we'll get a little, uh, and he'll be there. And we'll sit around and we'll listen to him teach. And so it wasn't uncommon. So uh, she kissed him. Then they poured perfume on him. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know he would, who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. She's a sinner. Now, let me say something to you also in this culture. To, dis- to touch a sinner, you were defiled as a person. To knowing someone was a sinner and you touched them, you were defiled. You personally became defiled. They believed that you became defiled. When you touched a woman in this culture, you became defiled. You touch a Gentile in this culture, you become defiled. You now are defiled. Years later, we didn't know it, and back in the early 90s, the AIDS virus uh, was on it. It was scaring this world to death. We weren't really sure how it, how, how it was contracted at that time. And uh, Pam and I were, and I think Pam will remember this, it was Agape Christian Fellowship, which has now got another name. It's in Sarasota, Florida. And a young man named Bobby came up afterwards, and he told me that he had been contracted AIDS and he doesn't have much time to live. And he had given his life to the Lord that day. And I put my arms around him. And, he, and Pam was standing right there. And the guy just drops in my arms. And he starts crying. And I'm holding him. I'm just holding him. 95, 4. After he gets his composure, he comes up. He said, since I've had AIDS, no one has touched me. And they already actually, his, Carl Dixon's his pastor actually asked if I, uh, he wanted to know if Pam and I would be able to come back and be part of his memorial. And we weren't able to because it was, we're on tour. But this man had, no one had touched him. 
because he was defiled. Now, I got to tell you, if someone would have told me I would have got AIDS, if I hugged him, I would have went, I don't know, I wouldn't have. But I didn't know, and it didn't matter. And I'm really grateful because it wouldn't even have mattered today. All I know is this was something that really touched this man and solidified what God did in his heart that day. He gave his heart to him. And I know Bobby's in heaven today. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man is not a prophet. He would know. If he was a prophet, he would know he is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Hey, Simon. I want to talk to you about something. I got something to say to you. Tell me, Rabbi. Tell me, teacher. Well, I'm going to give you a word picture. If you don't think that Jesus didn't know what was in this man's heart, you're entirely wrong. Even though he didn't say it, you just know he knows, right? Here's the story I got. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. Equivalent to $50,000 and 5,000 American dollars. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon replied, the Pharisee, Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman, Simon? I came into your house. You did not give me any water to wash my feet. You see, in this culture, you have a basin where you come to someone's house, take your sandals off, and you get your feet washed. First thing you do. He got nothing. Simon's not a really hospitable cat. He's getting ready to be filleted. You, get, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. In this culture, you walk into a house, you do that double. I grew up in a Persian culture. My dad married a woman and for, she's, he was married to her for 20-some years. And let me tell you, this double kissing you see a lot now. Hollywood people do it. And they're like, why are you doing that? You're not even part of that. Well, I've been doing it since I was a kid. And I never still understood it. It was a cultural thing. Always kiss on both sides. Didn't like it, but we did it. It was cultural. <laughs> but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. What the word is for this kissing, or the, the, the word that it is, it, it, it is um, uh, smothered. She, this, you know, we used to have a dog named Annie, and she'd turn her, she'd just lay on her back like this, and what she wanted to you to do is to take her belly and go like this. And, I mean, she just wouldn't stop. You just do it, you do it, and it was really a soft belly. And then if you stopped, she'd go like this. <laughs> Saying, oh, a little more. You don't want more. You're not going to let me stop. I'm going to have to turn you back over on your feet. Otherwise, it's just going to be like that. But it was a smothering of kisses. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this man who can even forgive sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Before this happened in another gospel, 
we know that Jesus was teaching the multitudes. And here's what he said, and you guys know it. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I believe, like others, that this woman was in that crowd. I believe she is a saved woman. She is a prostitute. She was the bottom of the barrel. She gave her lives and hearts to too many people. And she knows what the town and everyone thought about her. She knows how others have judged her. She knows everything about who they think she is. And he says, I tell you what, I see you differently. And I see you in a way, in a manner that honestly, you need what I'm offering. So I'm saying, come. And she came. This is a woman who's really grateful. She's operating for him in place of gratefulness. I want you to know what took place in my heart yesterday. I've never, ever, not ever saw myself as a woman or a man like this. Because when I came to know the Lord, I too was like this. I had busted up my life through drugs and alcohol and everything else that was evil. And I got to tell you, when someone said, there's some really good news for those of you who are really blatant, heathen, filthy dog pigs... Your sins can be covered. Really? Yeah. Like for how long? Oh, as far as east is the west. Well, east and west meet up. No, not our east and west. That's round. I'm talking east to west. You got to go into the galaxies. More galaxies. More galaxies. And they never ever join up. So if you guys, you know, get past the moon and you get up there past, you know, Mars, my sin is still shooting way out there and it's never going to ever. And see, so when I came to know the Lord, there was such this great, incredible, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You got to be kidding me. And all of a sudden he does this amazing thing. He sets me free from this alcohol and this cocaine addiction and all these things. And I think everything is settled yet. Last week I'm sitting here as I'm looking at this, I'm saying, wait, hold on. Here are the people right here that are loving little. Because why? They don't think their sin is any worse than that woman, yet they don't know that their sin is just as bad as that woman. Why? They're morally good. They've done everything right. They've been in church. They don't just come on Sunday on before. They don't just do Christmas and Easter. They're there. What happens is, where I was reading this, The Lord knocks on my heart. And I mean, it was a knocking on my heart. And when that knocked on my heart, he gave me a verse. Revelation 3.20. I started in the 15th verse. And here's what it says. I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I stop and go, well, that's not me, Lord. Well, if you're looking and judging others that are throwing rocks at you and you're throwing rocks back at them, I really want to know, do you love much or do you love little? Or let's just talk about the percentage. How much do you love today, Mike? Is it 50%? Is it 60%? Well, I'd say it's 60%, Lord. Good. Turn to Revelation 3.15. Because if you're at 50, 60%, you're lukewarm. So then because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And that's when the girls came in my office asking me as I was okay. Because I found myself in a lukewarm heart towards Jesus. A right that I had maintained. And when you have rights, I'll tell you what's right behind that right is pride. Pride allows you to do it. And that's what I was weeping. How are you going to teach on this, man? And now the Lord's just... Lord, I'm a heathen, filthy dog pig. You cannot put me in a category of a Pharisee. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a Pharisee. You're You're a Pharisee. You're sitting back and judging others who are judging you. I was broken. And here's what it goes on to say. Because you say I'm rich... I become wealthy and have no need of nothing and do not know that you... Don't you know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eyesop that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore... Be zealous and repent. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears, if you open your heart, Mike, and hear my voice, I'll open the door and I will come in and, craziest thing, dine with you. We're eating again. (laughs) Come on in. Come on in. I want you to dine. And with me, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Also, I woke. I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute inequity. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If that wasn't enough, I'm sitting there, and they go, what's wrong? I said, I, I don't even know if I can talk right now. I feel, like a, I feel like the train just jumped off the tracks, and it's coming in my head. And what happened was I turned, and I grabbed my daily with the king and read my daily with the king after I'm having this revelation that I have loved little when I thought I had loved much. I opened up June 29th. Today's the 30th, right? Okay, so this is good. I'm wrestling with God. No, I'm sorry. Story is I read this and they came in. Right, Krista and Monica? Yeah. Man, if this isn't a God of wins, I don't know what to tell you. Here's the title of June 29th. No private closet. God's desire for his children is that that they be wholly set apart for him. Every cooking pot in Jerusalem will be holy to the Lord. God must not be confined to Sundays, quiet times, or deeper life conferences. He is a God of every day, the kitchen as well as the sanctuary, the golf course as well as the altar. Similarities in my life, there can be no private closets to which the Lord has no access. It, I, it, it, I make a sep- if I make a separation between my God and my business, I'm making a sorry mistake. I must not repeat Saul's mistake of keeping pan of God's property, a pan of God's property for myself. The sanctification must be whole, complete, even down to the pots and pans of the kitchen. I, can, I, cannot, I cannot, Lord, save my soul, but leave my mind and heart alone. I cannot offer him my spirit, but retain the full right to use my body as I wish. I cannot seat Jesus in a parlor of my life, but shut him out of my study, my family room, or my bedroom. Paul prayed for the Thessalonian believers. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved. Complete. That is all of us. Complete and entire. F.B. Myers kept the key of one closet in his life that was off limits to God. Not until he surrendered the key did he have peace. And not until the closet was clean did he have power. You see, what I believed... What I had is I was right with God, but I was operating in a place I didn't have the peace of God. And there's a big difference of being right with God, but not having the peace of God. And what gives you the peace of God is grace. Grace comes always in scripture before peace. Grace comes when you know you need grace, not when you think others need it or if others can't receive it. Grace comes from your recognition of what you know about who you are. And I'm here today to tell you, as I told them, there's a woman sitting in this sanctuary that stayed with me. And however it is that I have ever treated any single individual, this one has gotten the brunt of about 99.9% of all bad. And yet she looks at me today as if I never did any of it. And you know why? It's not because I did anything. It's because she knows what he did for her. She never has forgot those seven years that she knew the Lord walked away from him and she came to an altar and she said, Jesus, I need you to cleanse and clean and make me whole. And she did that night. And I'm telling you, she was a mess. And Pastor Chuck Smith is there going, Pam, now the Lord would have you go and pour it out onto others to the degree of which you and him know what that is. I apologize to each and every one of you. 
I never saw myself as someone who was self-righteous and judging others, and yet God told me yesterday, you're very much that. Oh, you're very much the other two. You were a heathen, filthy dog pig. (laughs) But don't let what I did for you then stop what I want to do now. God wants to become very personal with me. He wants to socialize with me. Here we go again. Eating and drinking with me. As Jesus did with the people. He wants to make every area of my life awesome. As he made Bethel for Jacob. He wants to be the master of my thoughts as well as my emotions, instincts, and even my subconscious. When he becomes all of that, my life will become radiant with his abounding love. Yet, even now, I'm going to read Joel 2.12. Yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning. When Monica and Krista came in, they saw me weeping and mourning over the conviction that I found myself more like Simon than I did the woman sinner. And it required repentance. How do we go from being this radical person of faith and then in 72 hours we lack it and we're denying that we even are his at, the, at a campfire to a 15-year-old girl. How do we do it? You got to stay vertical. You got to attach yourself to him. And you have to be open to his word penetrating your heart through his spirit. I told my wife last night, I, I don't even know how this is going to affect her to change, but this was for me something that did something. I, I know that it, time will discern how it and what it does, but it's going to do something because it was very real. It came from the Lord and it came out of nowhere and it was unexpected. And it didn't take anybody doing it. It was the Holy Spirit falling on me and bringing a great love, of comfort and compassion. And yet he was dealing with a 59-year-old man that didn't know that he at this point I sat with a friend of mine the other day who was visiting. His daughter's on our staff. And as he was ministering to me, he was asking me about other areas of my life. I said, to this day, I can tell you I'm pure hands, clean heart, but I'm open to, I feel personally that I'm dust. I'm not a hard ball of clay, for those of you who've seen the ministry, that I break and it goes into 10 pieces. No, today I'm dust. It's just there is nothing. But if there's still a rock left, then I know the Holy Spirit will reveal and show that to me. But in my consciousness today, I can say, clean hands, pure heart. I didn't know 72 hours later God was going, no, there's still rocks. <laughs> and you know what? Better to fall down to be broken than have a rock on, from heaven fall on you. But here's what I want you to know. It's not bad when the rock falls on you. It's not that bad. Why? It comes with love. Because when it knocks you down, he picks you up. And here's what he does. He'll eliminate the pride in you and show you how Humility really does work. All three of the people in there, they got what they asked for. John didn't. But he never departed John. He didn't his, do his trials and through his, he didn't leave him. John went all the way and Jesus went all the way with John. He's going to go all the way with each and every one of us. He's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. What would happen if a group of people like this really did walk out of here going, you know what? I'm incredibly confident that God's never going to leave us. Why? He says he never will. I'm incredibly confident that he will never forsake me. He says he never will. The love that he has for me never fails. And it's going to require faith. And that's believing with absolute confidence in what his promise has said even before that has happened. Yeah? For me, it has to, it has, to. 
But here's the good news. Happy is a man whose transgressions have been forgiven. <laughs> happy, happy, happy. Happy is a man whose sins are covered. As hard as it was for me to sit in that office yesterday and to be exposed, as hard as it was for me to sit and listen and watch and go through all of what I'm going through, I can honestly say that I can't despise the manner of which he's teaching me and showing me the things that were necessary for me to see. That area of scripture, Revelation 3.15, is very harsh, but they're very loving. He didn't kick in the door of my heart. He says, I'm not going to break it in. It's going to knock. Open or don't. And I think that the Lord's been knocking on my heart for a long time. And I've been looking out that little hole going, I don't want you to come in yet. <laughs> Are you going to ever go away? No. I hear you, Lord. Why don't you open the door? I'll come in and cook dinner. We'll sit together and eat. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word this morning. If you would like more information about Salem Fellowship, please visit us on the web at salafellowship.org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.